Walk worthy of your calling is our theme this year. Just got started, but uh, hopefully we'll learn a lot this year about what it means to walk worthy of our calling. Our key verse is Ephesians 4.1, where Paul, who claimed he was a prisoner of the Lord, after he had described all that God and Christ have done for us in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he said, therefore, I urge you. Uh, that's stronger than ask. He's, he's begging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Our first series was is about what's my calling. We've got to understand the calling before we can start talking about walking worthy of that calling. Uh, the picture that Paul draws there in Ephesians 4.1 is like a balance scale. He says, walk worthy of your calling. Whatever your calling is, walk that way. We broke it down and talked about that for a little bit. We said instead of calling, let's say that's who we are. And instead of walk, let's say that's our lifestyle. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I urge you to have a lifestyle, to think and behave and believe and, and everything you do worthy of who you are. You're a child of God. So that's what we're going to be working on all year. Today in our series of What's My Calling, uh, we've added a couple to this one because of, I think we need to. And I added this one. Who's worthy of judging worthy? Who's worthy of judging worthy? Since we're going to talk about being worthy, a walking worthy all of the year, uh, we've got to talk about this one just a little bit. Let me tell you why. Uh, every time I step into this pulpit, I realize that I have a large, uh, diverse group. I've got over 700 people here. I've got levels of immaturity, levels of maturity, uh, levels of spirituality that are high and low. I've got levels of knowledge that are great and just beginning. I've got all those different kinds of people. And so it's always impossible to address everybody. But... There are very few topics where I am assured that when I start talking about them, my audience will be divided almost in half, almost right down the middle, and the midpoint is somewhere probably in the 40s. If you're below that, you're going to hear things one way when I talk about the things we're going to talk about today. When you're over that, you're probably going to hear and react to them differently. Let me tell you why. Let's go back to our key verse. Let's check our key verse. Ephesians 4.1 says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, your calling. There's the word, worthy. If we're supposed to walk worthy, what's that imply? That implies that you can walk unworthy. And as soon as I say that, that's when the audience breaks in two halves. As soon as I say something can be wrong, something can be unworthy, something in our walk can be not worthy, half of you are going to hear it differently and react differently. Almost guarantee it. And it may not be half and half in this group. We may not be split that way age-wise and all that. We may have a little different slice, but none of the studies say so. 
All of the polls and studies and everything that Barna's done say that church folks are just like the world folks. They hear and react to this topic differently depending on how old they are. And that's because of what they've been taught. Here's the trick. The spirit of this age is don't judge. That's absolutely the spirit of this age. We live in a postmodern world, supposedly, and the golden rule of postmodernism is don't judge. Don't judge me. You're not God. Don't judge. There's, you can find pictures and slogans and posters like this anywhere you want to look. And you can have it your way with this topic. You can have it your way. You can quote the verse like this, do not judge so that you will not be judged, or you can change it. Don't judge, and you'll not be judged. What kind of good news is that? That's yeah, not what the verse says. But Matthew 7, 1 is beloved of the world. Matthew 7 does start out, don't judge. And then he goes on and says, don't judge like this. Don't judge the wrong way. It doesn't stop with do not judge. But the world stops there, and then the world modifies it to make it mean what they want it to. This phrase is a favorite. It protests. Anytime somebody's protesting for a new law or a change in the laws, especially on moral issues, man, they got the signs out. Do not judge. Matthew 7, 1, God says, do not judge. No matter what the perversion is that they're wanting to change, and some of you just reacted to that differently, because when I say the word perversion, that means I am significantly over 40. And it hits you different. If you've been raised that do not judge is the golden rule. Now, this is not a sermon about postmodernism. I don't want to talk about that. The Bible doesn't worry about that. The Bible is supra-modern. It is above time. It is beyond time. It is ahead of its time. It's ahead of this time. It's over this time. doesn't matter what age we're in. The ancient words are true. Yeah. So, so we're not going to talk about that or that concept even. But the reason we're doing this sermon and next week's sermon is because of this idea that you can't judge anything. Now, I will say two, let me say just two little things about this concept of don't judge. One, I think it's one of Satan's best works ever. Man, he, this was slick. Yeah, if you can slide this in there and get people believing that you can't make a judgment about anything, hey, you've got it. I mean, you win. Yeah, so Satan's really good on this one. Of course, he's been using it from the very beginning, but he seems to have really caught on the last few decades. And the other thing I want to say about it, just those of you that have been taught you can't judge, I just want you to get the humor in this. I guess it's irony instead of humor. But anybody that says anything about don't judging, not, not judging, is always judging. That cracks me up. 
I mean, the younger folks, the folks that have been taught this postmodern thinking, will lecture everybody about judging, and they're judging the whole time. Okay, look at the last quote I put on the screen for you. One slogan I found about judging says, Don't judge me. You can't handle half of what I've dealt with. There's a reason I do the things I do. There's a reason I am who I am. Boy, that sounds good today, doesn't it? That makes the all-about-me generation just, that's it. What's in the middle of this thing that says you can't judge me? You are not qualified to judge me. I judge you not qualified to judge me. I judge that you don't know what I've been through, and I judge that you don't have, haven't been through anything even close to what I've been through. You can't judge, but I can, evidently. That's the spirit of this age. Okay, now, here's the problem we got with that. The Bible, God's book, as opposed to what the spirit of this age is, says that we are supposed to test and judge and discern and distinguish and examine all sorts of things. That's the only way we can live worthy. It says we've got to do all of these things. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything and hold on to what is good and avoid what is evil. You can tell me not to judge, but that verse says I've got to. I've got to make a judgment. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says a spiritual person makes judgments about all things. Look that one up. If you're spiritual, you're judging all the time. You're making distinctions. Philippians 1.9 says, Grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern what is best. You tell the modern world, the postmodern world, that that isn't as good as this. They say, you can't tell me that. Everything's okay. That verse says Christians are supposed to grow in knowledge and grow in depth of insight so that they can discern what is best. We're not talking about just what's black and white, right and wrong, good and evil. We're talking about what's this is better than that. This is, would probably be best. The more we grow, the more we learn, the better we can discern. We are supposed to distinguish between what tears down and what builds up. Christians are supposed to do that. We're supposed to distinguish between worldly wisdom and true wisdom. We're supposed to distinguish between traditions and commands. We're supposed to distinguish between myths and fables and empty philosophies. The Bible says Christians do all of that. Acts 17.11 says one, the people in Berea were noble because they examined the Scriptures to see if the preacher was telling them the truth. And the preacher happened to be Apostle Paul. But they were Christians, and they were examining, they were testing, they were judging, discerning, distinguishing what an Apostle said. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, what are we examining when we do all this? 
I don't know if you can see that or not. Yeah, it shows up all right. Teaching. We're supposed to examine and test and judge teaching and actions and attitudes. That's what the world says you can't mess with. Don't tell me anything about any of that. Let's just think about teaching for a second. Teaching is it's more important than ever today that we examine and test and judge teaching. You know why? Most of my one half of the crowd that's old like me grew up basically being taught standards at home, being taught standards at school, being taught the Bible at church, and mostly hearing one preacher most of their life. Now, that preacher might not have been right on something, but at least he gave you a standard when you heard something that didn't jive. When you heard something, whoa, that sounds wrong. That's not the story today. Today you can get on the Internet and you can get anybody's podcast. In fact, we just fixed you up here at church and gave you for free a deal where you can get on and listen to all kinds of preachers. You can listen to all kinds of people that claim to teach the Bible. I'll let you in on a secret. They're not all sound teachers. You can pull up a podcast and listen to a guy that sounds really smart. And, and I mean, he tells good stories and he's interesting and he's so much more fun to listen to than that guy at church. And he may even, you know, take his tie off and pull up and sit on a stool and act like he's having a real chat with you. But you still got to test what he's saying. You got to examine it, just like the Bereans did. It requires discernment. That's judgment, that's testing, that's examining. You better hold on to your Bible tightly if you're listening to all kinds of different preachers because they sound good. You better hold on to your Bible tightly and check what he says against the ancient words. I listen to all kinds of preachers. I turn them on the car and the radio. I probably listen for different reasons than you do. I listen mainly for how they say it. You know, I'm studying their style. I listen to some that I just like to hear them. You know, about half of what they say is poppycock, but I like to hear them. That's okay as long as you can discern. But if you don't discern... If you don't check your Bible to see what they're saying, to see if it's sound or not, we're going to be a bunch of trouble. Okay, so we examine, we test, we judge teaching, and then people's actions, even people's attitudes, the Bible says. The Bible says Christians ought to have this kind of attitude. Well, how are we going to help each other grow if we can't talk about somebody's attitude? See, we've got to make these judgments, if you want to call them that. Okay? And then it gets worse than that, according to postmodern folks. After all of that, the Scriptures then says to act. Scriptures say we're supposed to act. 
Once we test and judge and examine what the teaching is and the actions and the attitude, then we're supposed to do something about it. Oh, man. That's where we really step over the line. Well, you can believe that if you want, but don't be messing in my life. Don't tell me I ought to be acting differently or thinking differently. But the Bible says you got to. The Bible says there comes a point sometimes where you can't associate with Christians, with certain Christians, who choose to be immoral or choose to do something that is strictly against God's Word and won't change, won't repent. The Bible says we're supposed to warn each other. We're supposed to instruct each other. You can't do that without confronting each other. See how hard this gets? When you put it in a postmodern thinking that you can't do that? Okay, that's why we're talking about all these things. Let me go through a process of what we're really doing, and maybe this will help you. If you've been raised to think, you cannot judge. Here's the process. First, God sets the standards. And his word is what's going to judge. God sets the standards. John chapter 12, 47 through 50. Jesus said, I don't really judge people. See, the world would like that part of the verse. But then Jesus goes on and says, the words that I speak, that's what's going to judge people. If they don't believe and do what I say... And that day, they're going to be judged. Okay? So there's the answer. The Word of God is what judges. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. God said it. And it's useful. It's good. For, listen to these. For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Some of those words just irritate half of my audience. Rebuke and correct. That's judging. How can you do that? That's what the Bible says about the Bible. All this talk about judging and rebuking and correcting makes some folks really nervous. But let me try to help. If God sets the standard, and his word is what judges, let me add this here for you, and this may help you. Seven years ago, I know some of you think you saw this picture just a year or two ago, but it was 2008 when we did a whole year on abundant living. We talked all year about John 10.10, and where Jesus said, I'm come, that they might have life, eternal life, and that they might have life, life here on earth, might be more abundant. And we talked about that all year. And if you remember just one sentence out of all that year, that's pretty good. But if you just remembered one sentence, uh, my sentence would be, God's standards are for our good. You know, when God makes rules and regulations and sets down limits, and even when he gives suggestions... They're all about helping us have a better life. Okay? I said that wrong. God doesn't make suggestions. Paul made some suggestions. There's commands, there's limits, there's regulations, there's rules and all that. And sometimes Paul would say, now, in this situation, here's what I think would be best. I'm not 
I think the Lord would agree with me. But here's what I think is best. All of that is so that we can have the life that's best. See, what the world calls restrictive and judgmental and hateful and exclusionary are God's ways of keeping us out of trouble. And we spent all year going through that. Rules and principles of marriage and of finance and of relationships and everything. If we just did what God said, life is better. Okay? So our process is now God sets the standards for us. He wants us to have a good life. He's not trying to make things miserable. He wants us to have a good life. He sets the process. Now, here's what happens second. Second, Satan lies about the standards. Okay? God sets the standards. He says, here's the way it is. Here's how to have the best life. Here's how to do things where you'll be the happiest. I want you to have an abundant life. Right before Jesus said that in John 10, 10, he said, the thief, that's Satan, he said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Whatever Satan does, he wants the worst for you. Okay? So here's the process. God sets the standards. Satan comes along. He knows what the standards are now. And so he starts lying about them. Understand Satan's purpose. Satan doesn't want you to go to heaven. Since he doesn't want you to go to heaven, he doesn't, certainly doesn't want you to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, he doesn't want you to act like one. He doesn't want you to act like one, so he doesn't want you to follow the standards so that your life will be messed up, so that the world will look at you and say, if that's a Christian... I don't want any of that. That's the way Satan thinks. So that's why he lies about the standards. If he can get you convinced, you don't have to follow the standards. And nobody can tell you what the standard is even. He's on his way. One of his names is Deceiver. And that's what he does with God's standards. He goes around looking for people to destroy, the Bible says. Well, how does he do that? He doesn't possess you. He doesn't make your head spin around in circles. He just lies. And when we talk about holiness around here, and we do a class every once in a while on holiness, we call it, he just changes the price tags. And a lot of you remember that class, remember that phrase. He changes the price tags. And, and that comes from a facetious story about some thieves that broke into a clothing store one weekend and they, they stole what they wanted and then while they were there they thought let's have a little fun so they got some pins they just switched all the price tags around so on Monday morning when somebody came in they, they picked up a pair of socks it was $300 they went over to the suit rack and the suits were $1.19 okay. it just caused a huge commotion just by switching the price tags that's all Satan does. Satan doesn't tell you not to do this or to do this. He just changes the price tag on it. God set the standards. Satan lies about it. You know how this works. Let's look at, I mean, these are simple. God assigns values to things. He says this is very, very valuable. Or he says this will hurt you. This is dangerous. This is very, very bad. And in between, he tells you about it. 
Okay? And then Satan lies about it. What's God say about the human soul? He says it is of ultimate value. He says there's nothing in the world worth a human soul. How many of you know that verse? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, we know that. That's Bible. That's ancient words. That's God setting the standards. What's Satan do? He says, soul's not that important. You know how many things in the world are worth trading your soul for? He he just changes the price. It's not as valuable as God says. Uh, Happiness, a little bit of happiness. It's worth losing your soul for. It's the way he does it. He He just lies about it. Human life. What's God say about that? God says human life is given by me. It is God-given. It is sacred. It is not to be taken. In fact, if you take a human life, you have to forfeit your own. That's how valuable it is. What's the world say? Human life is sometimes inconvenient. And if it's a baby in the womb and it's going to mess your life up, then it's not worth anything. And old people, you know, they get where they just cost too much money to keep breathing. We we need to figure out a way to get rid of them. That's what the world says. That's Satan's lie. Human life isn't that valuable. What's the Bible say about honesty? It's one of the top ten. It's one of the basis the foundations of society is if everybody's honest with each other, society works better. When people lie and aren't honest, society gets all messed up. What's Satan say about it? No big deal. No big deal. Doesn't matter who it is. As long as they say, well, I misremembered. We'll reelect them. Because we've bought into the deal. Honesty is not that important. How about marriage? That is God's design for men and women to have the most happiness possible in this world. That's what he designed it for. He designed it where they would help each other and, and they would protect each other. All of that. He says, hold it in high, high esteem. It's to be honored. What's the world say? Ah, it's a piece of paper. Bunch of foolishness. You live together, that's a lot better. Try things out, but it doesn't work, get out. Or if you get married and you're unhappy, it's not working for you, get out. Satan goes as far, he's, he We're kind of getting over this a little bit, but for decades he said, and it won't bother the kids. That was his price tag. The way it works. How about family? What's God say? God says one man and one woman are supposed to love each other, be one, and raise godly children. That's God's standard. That's his price tag. That's very, very valuable. What's the word Satan's price tag say? That is old-fashioned. That's on, that's on the clearance rack. What's valuable is any combination that makes you happy. 
Doesn't matter what they are, what they do, how anything. Just mix it up any way you want. And if in the middle of it, Daddy Bruce wants to change into Mommy Brucette, that's okay. Doesn't matter. That's valuable. Some of you need to read the papers. <laughs> Self-control. The Bible says that's very, very valuable. That's how you're the happiest if you discipline yourself and don't do things that are bad for you. Satan put a price tag on it. He says, this is overrated. You miss a lot of fun if you try self-control. If it feels good, do it. Don't worry about self-control. Okay, you know how, so now you know how this works. And Satan then, once he's changed the price tags, he doesn't just stop there. He starts selling it. He's got the media helping him. He's got Hollywood. He's got, he's got the government passing laws by his price tags. He's got school teaching courses by his price tags. He's got peer pressure. Where if you try to say a standard of God, your peers, especially if you're in that younger group, your peers are going to say, you're judgmental. You can't do that. Okay. So here's our process. God sets the standards. Satan lies about those standards. Now let's finish. Since that has happened, the third thing is we got to discern. If all we knew was God's Word, we wouldn't have such a problem. But since we've got all of this in our heads, now we've got to discern what is best. And, and it's discern means judge in one sense, but it's really not. See, here's the way I think. I don't judge people. God's Word judges people. And what I've got to do is discern between what God said and what Satan has spread as lies. I've got to find the truth in there. Now, you can be judgmental. Don't get me wrong. I said I don't judge people. And sometimes I may be judgmental, but I try not to. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7. Now, you can be judgmental. You can be hateful. and You can be arrogant. You can be untactful. You can be all those things. That's being judgmental. But I don't judge. God's Word judges. My job is discerning. Okay? Now, since discerning is hard to start with, because of what Satan sold us as a bill of goods, discerning is hard to start with. Then if you add to that the fact that the world says you can't question anything, you can't question anything I think or anything I do or anything I feel, don't judge me, then the party's over. Yeah, you know, I mean, if we buy into that one, discerning's hard. It takes love and unity and all sorts of things to discern well among Christians, which is what this whole year is about. But if we let people say, you can't judge me, you can't tell me what's worthy, you're not worthy to judge worthy, then the party is truly over. Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's the foundation, is there is a standard. Yeah, we've got to discern if we've got any hope of walking worthy. All right, let's practice. We've got to go real fast on this. Here's some modern things, problems, ideas. God has set a standard on them. Satan has lied about them. Our job is to discern. 
well, we got to figure out how to do that. All right, what did God say about divorce? He said, I hate divorce. If he hates it, you would assume he wishes there was never a divorce. But divorces happen. Okay? What's the world say about it? They're okay, and sometimes they're really cool. Okay, there's two extremes. They're either a hateful thing or they're an okay thing. Well, as Christians, to discern, we've got to fight and teach for God's standard. We've got we'll do anything it takes around here. We'll hire hire a counselor full time. If that'll help us get closer to God's standard. You understand? We just don't buy the world's definition. We've got to discern. Immorality, sex, modest dress, all of those things. My two halves of the audience are thinking different things now. Okay? One half is saying, yeah, somebody needs to talk about that. The other half is saying, you can't talk about that because you can't judge. I know that's what's happening. Time. Looked down at my notes and it said time, and I thought, what in the world does that mean? It means time. <laughs> I got a Time magazine. <laughs> I thought it can't be time to quit already. It's time. Uh, it just got this Friday at the barber shop. The the latest issue of Time is dated tomorrow. In fact, okay, I've turned back to the back editorial for some reason, and some lady named Susanna so and so wrote a article about sending her teenage daughter off to college. And she goes through all the stuff about how scared she is about that and how there's so many assaults and rapes and the football team rapes everybody and on and on and on. She's scared to death. Send her daughter off to college. So she writes about all that and then she says part of the problem is her daughter says it's hypocritical things that go on. Things like girls can't get as drunk as boys at campus parties because then it's dangerous. That's not fair. People tell her how she ought to put a jacket on over that strapless thing. She says, that's not fair. That's hypocritical. can't tell me that. So her mother goes through all that and what the problem is and how she worried and all that. Here's her last paragraph as she sends her off. She says, I always defend your right to wear what you want. You wear what you want. I know it's dangerous. I know this and all that. But I can't tell you any different. So I'll always defend your right to wear what you want and have just for fun sex if you want. But as your mother, I wish you more. Here's what she wishes. I hope you take any chance you can to know someone truly and intimately. As long as it's not rape. That's okay. That's good. And I can't tell you any different. Which which side has she bought? Where is she? Okay, you can say when I want to talk about immorality or sex or modest dress or something, you can't judge about that. I can say it's somewhere in between what God said and what Satan said. I may not be able to draw the line exactly for you, but if we're ever going to walk worthy, we ought to be able to talk about this stuff. If you think the world hadn't changed, 
as a Christian, you post some comment on your Facebook page or somewhere that discerns something and see what happens to you. You see what the world does to you, what they jump on. Okay? And if that was as bad as it was, I'd say that's pretty good. But I'm afraid that if you're a member of a strictly all-Christian group and you suggest that somebody ought to be discerning about something, you're going to get jumped on too. And the words they're going to jump on you with are judge not, grace, tolerance, all the key words, which we're going to talk about next week. You see, if you do that, it's just the spirit of this age. We've got to discern. The Bible says to obey your elders. If the elders come to you and say, we've got to talk to you, this concerns us. And from what you're doing, we discern that you're headed toward trouble. Satan says, slam the door in their face. Get them out of there. they got no right to talk to you like that. The Bible says different. Materialism. Jesus said this is dangerous stuff. And hopefully, at least those folks in Financial Peace University are starting to talk. They can discern things with each other. That's good. Entertainment. (laughs) The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. The Bible says, think on good things. But does this world say anything's off limits? No, nothing's off limits. Now, the reason I'm going through all this is in a few months, when we get to that part of this year's sermons, we're going to have to talk about immorality, sex, and modest dress, and materialism, and entertainment. Why? Because they're part of walking worthy. And that's why I said we better cover this sermon up front pretty quick. Because we're going to have to wrestle with who judges worthy. All right, finally, let's quit here. Finally, to walk worthy, we're going to have to apply what's best and instruct one another. Galatians 6.1 says if somebody's in sin, somebody who's spiritual needs to go to them and restore them. Man, does that require discernment requires spirituality, it requires love, it requires unity, it requires all sorts of things. That's what the Bible tells us to do if we're going to walk worthy. Not all of you are good at that. You see somebody sinning, maybe you're not the one to go talk to them. We'll have to talk about that a little bit too. But the rule can't be don't judge. Necessary to walk worthy. All right, next week, we're going to finish this up a little bit with uh, judgment, grace, and tolerance, some more key words that folks like to use today, and we're going to see how we use those as we try to help each other walk worthy. We'll have a lot of fun next week, I'm sure. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation anyway, or if you have some need of this family... I need us to pray for you about some certain situation. The elders will be at the front to receive you. We'd be happy to do that. Need anything today, come forward. Let's stand and sing.